Well, good morning. It's good to be, good morning. It's good to be with you. If you brought a Bible, please open it to the book of Hebrews. If you are, uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, I should say at this point, um, we are on page one thousand and eight. And if you are just now joining us, we've been looking at the book of Hebrews uh, since February, and we are starting chapter twelve. So we'll be reading verses 1 to 4 in just a second, um, and I'll be focusing on really just verses 1 and 2, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, we're almost done, right? We have two more chapters left of this book, but it seems like the further we get into it, the better it gets. And I hope that's been your experience as you've studied and read and followed along with us. Um, I hope it's okay to say this, too. Um, when we finish, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes this fall. We'll be after Labor Day, so something to look forward to there as we... Uh, See light at the end of the tunnel uh, with this wonderful book. So having said that, let us give our attention to the reading of God's word found in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. And I'll be reading verses 1 to 4. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And that will do for the reading of God's word this morning. Let me pray for us. I wanted to keep going there. Uh, Let me pray for us and ask God to teach us his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. And we pray that as as we often do, that you would do a miracle. And by miracle, that you would soften hardened hearts. We pray that you would open eyes and ears that we may see and hear things otherwise we could not. And we pray that you would create in our hearts a good soil so that as the word goes out, such as a seed into the ground, that you would produce a fruit and that we would leave here changed people. We ask this all in your son's name. Amen. But don't worry. Once it's done, you'll be able to say it was worth it. It was worth it. How many times have you heard that? How many times have you said that to somebody? Um, Don't worry, once it's done, it's worth it. Maybe you heard this while buying your first home. (laughs) It's worth it. Do it. I love what one friend says, why be happy when you can be a homeowner? (laughs) Maybe you heard this during a tough practice. Your coach just looked at you and said, keep going, it'll be worth it. Maybe years later, you even looked back and found yourself uh, having grown and matured from, from something you did. Saying, you know what, it was, really, it was really worth it. Or maybe you found yourself having to move to Fort Worth for a job and you didn't want to go, but 10 years later, you're looking back and you're saying, you know what, it was really worth it. We like this phrase for many reasons, I'm sure. Uh, but one that I would suggest is that we like to use it and to have it be true for all of the decisions that we are making in life. We like to be able to look back on the things that we've decided or the decisions we've made in our lives to be able to say that it wasn't in vain, that it was, in fact, worth it. But the problem with this phrase is that that it is a judgment made after the fact. 
after the trial, if you will, once you've seen that we are better for it, we are able to look back and to say it was worth it. It was worth it. Well, what do you do when you don't have the luxury of looking back at this point? What do you do to shift into the metaphor that we come to in chapter 12 when you're in the midst of a race and you haven't finished it yet and you're not sure if it's worth it to keep going? As we've been saying throughout this book, this is yet another description of where the audience to the Hebrews is. They are in the midst of trial or the prospect of future trial, which certainly would be persecution. And they are running, but they are fading. Some have left, and many are considering, why keep going? Which I'm positive is probably a question you might have asked yourself at some point in time in your life. Why keep going? Why do this? Is it worth it? Or what we might say, considering the series, is it worth it to hold fast our hope in Christ? And this is where this book has been so incredible. Because what the Bible is really trying to do, and I would say this book specifically, is not to get you to try to figure out if you're going to stay in this race, as it were, because Jesus is worth it. What the Bible is always trying to show you is that you stay in the race because Jesus is worthy. It's not because he's worth it. It's not because you have the opportunity to sort of stop and figure out if all this is going to work out in one sense. Because in the midst of the hills that are coming in front of you, the only thing that keeps you moving forward in that moment regarding those circumstances that we've been talking about this whole time is whether you have decided that Jesus is worthy of your running or not. As I said, as we shift metaphors to the running of the race in chapter 12, the only thing that gets us through these hills, these tough, tough circumstances, is to run because Jesus is worthy. And what we see that begins to motivate us, especially as this chapter begins, that begins to show us that he is worthy, is the cost it took for him to make you his. This, my friends, is the basis for why we run. And to get there... I want us to look at those three things, except there's a typo in that first one. The nature of the race, like your handout says, the nature of the cross. It's the nature of the race, what hinders the runner, and the true motivation to run. So the nature of the race, what hinders the runner, and the true motivation to run. Let's look at the first one there, the nature of the race. And the, the nature of this race that, we, that, we, that we're going to read about is that we are to run patiently. Um, let me try to describe this. Wednesday this week was sort of a normal day in the sense that I left about five and sort of uh, part of my just weekly routine. Um, I wanted to get home and I wanted to go run uh, just to clear my head and just to sweat a bit. Uh, the problem was is when I got into my car, my car read 118 degrees. Um, and obviously, you know, that's just that's the temperature inside the car. So living in Fort Worth, it's like 122, I think, outside. But this didn't look like it, like it was going to be a great idea. Uh, either, way, either way, I kept going. I got home. I, I got dressed. I, I started to hit the pavement. And I remember thinking to myself as I started running, I think this is the type of weather that people have heat strokes and die in. Um, but I didn't stop. I just kept going. I persevered, if you want to call it that. 
Uh, mainly because I, I didn't care about my speed. I didn't care about my health. I really just cared about trying to figure out what it was I wanted to say to you all today. This is sort of just a, a moment of clearing my mind and, of course, to sweat a little bit. But something you need to know about me when it comes to running, and I've mentioned this, this before, is I make everything as far as running, I make, I make the whole thing a measure of my self-worth and value. Let me just give you an example of this. It, it's sort of why I hate running, but, um, for example, the idea of stopping during a run just dry, drives me nuts. If I have to stop during this run, it's, it's worthless. I'm worthless. Right. Um, walking that like, I might as well just stay home and eat a bag of Doritos. If you have to start walking during this, is, these are the things going through my head here. Uh, then to me, I think well, it was just terrible. It was terrible. If someone passes me and you know what you do when someone passes, you start to speed up. And then there are oftentimes, not, not all, not too often where I, I dream of maybe what happens if I tackle this person and then I win. I mean, just the competitive genes here are flowing and, um, <laughs> and, and this is just, this is just what's going on in my mind. Every time I set out to do this, it's always a question of, am I going to run further this time? And am I going to run faster? Um, am I going to accomplish something? Because if I don't, and then all this is, is, is pointless. But here's the, here's the bit about Wednesday in Fort Worth at 102 degrees. That stuff doesn't matter if you're stupid enough to get out and run. Right, that stuff doesn't matter. If, you're, if you want to get out there and just sort of sweat and you have a little trail that you're trying to do, what matters isn't your speed, it isn't your pace, it isn't uh, you know, whatever it is that you would qualify to be in a good run. What matters is patience. What matters is just saying, I'm going to stay on the path and if I have to walk or stop, that is Okay. That is okay. Because the point of the run at this point is finishing. That is the metaphor for us as we come into chapter 12. It is a race. And the way that this author is instructing us to run this race, he uses the word endurance that we've looked at already, but that word also means patiently. That we are to run this race as though it were 102 degrees in Fort Worth. And how do you do that? Patiently. Patiently. As I said, we've looked at this word endurance and here's what it means. It means that you are trusting that the foundation or the promises that you're standing on will actually hold. Right. It's it's that idea that that, that you're not so much keeping, uh, keeping up, if you will. You're not so much pushing, pushing forward and, and and gutting it out. You're actually trusting that that foundation, that confidence that we've talked about in chapter 10, that foundation, the promises of God, you're, you're trusting that they will hold you. It's what your confidence is in. It's what we said is endurance is the expression of confidence that Jesus will keep the promise he made. That is why this word also means patience, because it's the process of trusting. More importantly, waiting on someone else's promises. But it's also what is required because of the nature of the race or its terrain. And I think it's important to stop here because we, perhaps maybe because of Americans, Westerners, or just we're just sinful, as I just described. When we think about a race, we think about one thing. We think about winning, being first, right? Pace. We think about all those things. That is not the race that the author has in mind here. 
The author tells us to run patiently because he understands what it's like to wait, but he also knows how hard the running gets, right? There are hills and then there are hills. He knows how hard the running gets. And while some of us are in seasons of life where it seems like we are just running downhill constantly, and then there are those who are not making faces at those people. That's another story for another time. No one knows what tomorrow brings. That's the nature of this race, friends. You don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't know what tomorrow brings. And because that is true, we are called to endure or to run this race patiently. If you were told to do something that was going to be difficult, you never knew when it would come to completion, by the way. Right, notice that the, what is the finish line for this race? It is death. Do, we don't know where that's, when that's coming. But you also had to rely entirely on someone else for all of it. What other word would you use to describe how you should take this course? And he pleads with his audience to endure, to run it patiently. Because here's the reality about the Christian life, as we'll see, as it refers to a race. You are not alone in this race, but you have to run your own race. You are not alone in this race. We have everybody here. We have the church triumphant throughout this world. Where, you know, we, we, we have a great cloud of witnesses. You're not alone, but you have to run your own race. And the way the author is instructing you to run your race at this point is the same way that you would run in Fort Worth if it were 102 degrees. And that is patiently. And one of the reasons we run with patience is because of what is there that hinders us. And this gets to the second point. What hinders the runner? And this is the first thing that might, might jump out at us as we read this, after we get through this great cloud of witnesses that we just finished talking about in chapter 11, that because of the nature of the race and how challenging it is, the author instructs us to take our running as serious as we can. And what that looks like is shedding or laying aside unnecessary weights to remove sin that clings or entangles. Well, what is this and what should this look like in our lives? First, the the laying down there, the shedding of unnecessary weights literally is the picture of a runner who would be perhaps me warming up with 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 clothes on, like, you know, the the workout gear, pants, maybe a long sleeve to kind of get their their body warm. And then when they approach the starting block, they shed those things. They get down to what is the bare minimal so that they can run a race with the least amount of hindrances. That's the picture that we're given here in this text of what the author is saying to do, to lay these things down. But here's the point. And notice this. It's not that the author is saying, lay these down if you have them. There is an assumption here that we are to lay these things aside because we all have them. It is a part of this race, whether we like it or not. It's a part of being human. It's why this race is hard and why he asks us to run patiently. You have to deal with others. You have to deal with yourself. We all have these things. And the point is, is do we begin to care enough? And I believe this is one of the questions he's pressing into his audience. Do we begin to care enough about the race itself to lay them down or to do something about them? Not because it's worth it, but because Jesus is worthy of you laying down these weights. This is his plea. 
One commentary puts it this way. The expression, everything that hinders, covers any encumbrance that would handicap a runner. And by analogy, anything that would interfere with responsible commitment to Jesus Christ. Every year I go spend three days with four other pastors that are dear friends of mine. And the purpose of our time together, which is to be together, is really to sort of just lay our life out over six categories out on the table for everybody to look at, ask questions, poke, prod, right? Um, basically figure out what are the weights in your life, if you want to use that phrase. Right? Where's the sin that, that, is, that, that is hiding, that, that could entangle? And one of the reasons we started doing this as we, as we moved into the ministry was because we saw too many people ahead of us falling out, leaving the ministry. Why? Because of sin. That entangles, that takes us down, stuff that goes unchecked, burnout, right? despair, unhealthy, unhealthy lifestyles because of the stress of living, of work that goes on for years. And then finally, the next thing you know, you find yourself in a place that you didn't dream of being. And we saw this and we just thought, well, we don't want this to happen to us. And, and so we began to meet and we finished our ninth year this summer and we hope to do this for the rest of our lives. And it's great. And I'm not saying this, like, this is what you need to do. What I'm saying is, is every time that I begin to pack my bags to go visit these four men, trust me, there are things that I am not looking forward to that I know I'm going to have to tell them that I know they're going to ask me. But what it forces me to, to, to ask myself as a Christian is, do I care enough about this race that Jesus has asked me to run to allow people to come in and point out these weights to lay them aside? And I think this kind of conversation gets a little uncomfortable for reform folks because this, some of this stuff sounds legalistic if you really think about it, right? Are you, are you really asking us to, to, to observe the things that we are doing? And if, and if by some unknown measure, we need to get rid of those things. Are you saying we need to get rid of those things? Maybe. But I'll present the same question to you that, that I'm presenting to myself. What are we doing in our lives that suggests that we are caring about the race that Jesus has called us to run? That's a hard question. Does it matter to us? What does responsible commitment to Jesus look like in your life? And are we even able to talk about it? Because here's the deal. I need to see fellow travelers next to me. I need to see you and me giving up things, shedding weights as it were, not wondering if it would be legalistic to do so, just because at the heart of what they want more than anything is to know this Jesus and his cross and his resurrection. I need to see that in you. For my own faith, for my own endurance, for my own patient running. As I said at the end of the first point, you are not running alone, but you have to, you have your own race to run. Who gets let in to see what's going on? Could you see that join in a small group, for example, this fall, or maybe even a men's life group, as we call them, as a step in the direction of saying, I care about my running. I care about what might be weighing me down for my family, for others. And here's a place to begin to allow others into my life to help. And that's why we put such an emphasis on the small group community. 
No, this isn't just because small groups are starting up in a month. I think this is a really good application for us. And it's not that I'm inviting you to join a small group so that you can put your entire life out on the table there for people. Trust me, that's not what that's for. I don't want to scare you. I actually want you to join the small group. But what it's for is that you might begin to make relationships in this church through that group that you could call up one day and say, listen, I need to talk to you about something. Could we get coffee? Something, something has come up in my life. I need an outlet for that. And see, if we're just coming in here, you know, listening to the content of our messages, listening to the content of our Sunday school, and we are not partaking of the fellowship of the body of Christ, and we are essentially saying no to the one area where God has said, this is how I'm going to show you the weights in your life. This is how I'm going to untangle the sin in your life is through the body, through the church. I would say this too to the junior and senior high in this church. You have been gifted Philip and Christina. They are amazing. I would encourage you to use them as gifts of the church, to go and talk to them. They would love nothing more than for you to to just share your life with them. And if you don't sign up, I'll keep signing up because I love talking to them. How are we thinking about the church? And are we thinking about it, this is more to the point, as God's gift to us so that we might begin to care about our running. But here's the deal. The only way you care about your running is not whether Jesus is worth it. It's whether he is worthy of this. I don't want to go tell people about the darkness of my soul. But I'm more terrified of where that might take me. But maybe more to the point, Jesus becomes more beautiful and believable to me in those moments where I'm extended forgiveness. And as, as we will do when we take part of this table in a minute. And I know that his promises are true for me. That I'm not defined by the things that I've done, but I'm defined by his blood shed for me. What is hindering your running? And would, would the author of Hebrews, as he is driving this message home to a people who have no idea what's coming tomorrow, and, and for a lot of them, it could be certain death, who are wondering if I should keep going. What is getting them to care about the way that they run in these final days? And I would say that would be a great question for us as well. We've seen the nature of the race, what hinders the runner. And lastly, we've got to look at the true motivation to run. As I've been saying all along, the true motivation for us to run is because Jesus is worthy of our running. And we get three reasons here in the second verse. The text says first that Jesus is the founder or the pioneer would be another way to, 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 to phrase that. And perfecter of our faith. So Jesus perfected faith itself is what the text is saying. In his life here on earth, all the way to the cross where where it was finished. And so one, take note of his life. Take note of his life. Just like Jonathan Edwards who says, take notice of Christ's excellence, which is a feast. When we begin to look at his life, the perfection of faith itself, the pioneering of that faith, if you will. We begin to see that Christ's life is amazing, that he pioneered the perfect life of faith. But here's the point, and this is the second thing that we see out of this. 
is that by perfecting faith itself, Jesus' life became a path for us to God. Let me say that again. By perfecting faith itself, the reason Jonathan Edwards is saying to look upon his life because it is a feast is because Jesus in his life perfected the path of faith to God for us. His life became a path for us. In other words, he opened the way to God himself for you by faith. When Jesus says that I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, this is what the way means. His perfect faith in this way, he pioneered this path that you now travel on. You are the beneficiaries of this life of his. This is what the author is saying. It is done and it is finished. Now, here's the question. How many of us feel, if we're honest, that being a Christian means I have to pioneer my own path? I have to pioneer my own trail. I've got to do it for Jesus. He's counting on me. And so you start carving out your own path. And quickly, the reason you come to church, the reason you serve, the reason you read your Bible is not to enjoy Jesus or to know him more. It's to show him that you are worthy That you are in fact worthy of his love. And that is not the gospel, friends. Your worth, as we will continue to see, is always revealed in the life of Jesus and what he endured for you. As the pioneer and the perfecter of your faith, there is nothing more that you can do to make him think that you are any more worthy of his love than the way that he thinks about you this very minute. Nothing. This is what it means for Jesus to be both the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He has done this. And he's created this way to God by faith. This is why we talked last, last time about the object of our faith has to be Jesus himself. This is the whole setup here. And this is why I'm saying to you, Hear me. This is why I'm saying to you that your performance, as it were, as a runner, your speed, your time, your length is of little concern here. Walk if you have nothing left. Run with patience, friends. But listen, be encouraged because the path is certain. Just stay on it. And did you notice how we stay on it right there in verse two, by looking to Jesus, it's the object of our faith. That's how you stay on it. Just keep going is what the author is encouraging his audience to do. And this is the first reason that we begin to see as Jesus being worthy, the motivation to run is because he is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He cleared this path for us. But not only did he do that, and this gets to the second reason, is that Jesus is worthy because because of where this perfect life led him. And it didn't lead him into paradise. It led him to a cross, as the author shows us. The text says that he endured the cross, despising the shame, or literally thinking nothing of its shame. 
it, we've been in Bible school, right? We've been in Sunday school, whatever, Bible studies. We, we've, we've heard of the shame of the cross. We know that for Jesus to be stripped naked on the cross would be the most humiliating thing to do to anybody, let alone the second member of the Trinity. Right? We get shame. And what, what, what this author just told us is Jesus didn't think anything about it. And we'll see why here in a second. Jesus took to the cross the same way, though, you and I are to take to this race, and that is with patience. That word there, to endure, which is upomeno, is the same word. He literally trusted that this was his Father's will, trusting in the promises of what it would mean for you and me if he did not come down. That if I stay here, if I hang here until it is finished, you and I can have access to God. In other words, Jesus endured because his suffering would mean that all of y'all could be together with him for eternity because of faith in him. And the gospel tells us the same thing. The gospel tells us that the thought of having you for eternity makes the shame of the cross disappear for Jesus. Do you believe that about yourself? That the thought of Jesus having you with him for eternity causes the shame of the cross to him to disappear. I don't have that high a value of myself. But this is what he's saying. Jesus is saying, the very thought of having you with me in eternity makes the shame of this cross nothing. And he did this for you. It was the joy of him to do this, to think of you in this way. And this is why, friends, he is worthy and not worth it. This is the second. The third, though, we get is that he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I mean, we get sort of everything in this last verse. Probably the most obvious as to why he is worthy of our running is that Jesus sits down. And he sits down because he is reigning as king. All things have been given to him. All things visible and invisible have been given to him. In short, Jesus reigns and is reigning. It is in the perfect tense. He will never stop being in control. That's what this text says. You see, this is the one that often motivates us, hopefully, when the running gets bad. When the hills get big and we say, look, I don't know what is going on anymore. I don't know or understand what's happening in my life right now. And I'm not sure I can keep going. When the running gets bad, you don't need tips on running. You need reminding that Jesus reigns, friends, that he sat down after his work was complete, after he pioneered this path, after after he endured the cross because of what it meant to hang there, to have you for eternity. It's finished. And he sits there and he reigns. And this is the encouragement because it's true for you to keep going. And if you say, as we all do at times in our lives, look, I don't see it. I don't feel as though he is in charge today or for the past year for that matter. It just doesn't seem that way to me. I want you to go back to chapter 11. I want you to reread those last eight or nine verses, especially the ones about those who were killed by the sword about those who were cut in two. And those we didn't even look at, those, those you had to go just wandering off into caves because nobody would allow them to live with them because of their belief. Or they would die. 
Do you think it looked to them as though Jesus was reigning? No. But they didn't trust in their circumstances, did they? Which has been a huge theme for us in this book. They didn't trust in their feelings. They looked to the promise and they said, you're enough. You're all that I have. That's this great cloud of witnesses. And we have the privilege of being on the other side of that promise. So how much more for us as we look back to the promises fulfilled in Jesus, who again pioneered our faith, endured the cross, was resurrected and sits down and reigns, has total control over everything that is going to come to pass. This doesn't mean that we just get it and we're good to go. This is why this race is to be run patiently. This means we have to come back to this every single day. And that, is not, that does not mean that you're not believing correctly. That does not mean that you don't have faith. It just means that you're human. This race is hard. Some of us have seen stuff this week. I don't have anything left. That's okay. That's okay. Because Jesus is reigning. Our true motivation to run is that Jesus is worthy. And we've seen that in these three ways. When we see all this, what he's done, we're reminded that it's the cost. It's the cost that makes him worthy to us. That makes him worthy to run no matter the circumstances, friends. Let me end with this. Most of you by now have probably seen the movie uh, Saving Private Ryan. It's uh, Spielberg's uh, take on uh, D-Day in in, in World War II with Tom Hanks. And the film begins, if you remember, with an old man visiting a cemetery. And he's visiting the Normandy Cemetery there with all the fallen that, that, that died that day. Um, then the story of Allied invasion of Normandy, and which is one of the most intense openings of any movie that I've ever seen, um, that portrays a story of tremendous cost. All these men give their lives, and then there's this other group of men that give their lives just to save this one private. As the last of them is dying, this is Tom Hanks. If you remember that scene at the end, as he's dying this, to, to, to hold the bridge there, he turns, he turns to the private, to Private Ryan, and he says this, and I didn't catch it the first time, but maybe he did. He turns to him, and his last words to him were, earn this. Earn this. The movie closes with a return to Ryan now as an old man back in the cemetery where we started. And he's talking with his wife, and he says this to her. Tell me I've led a good life. And his wife is, what, what? Tell me I'm a good father. Tell me I'm a good man, a good husband. And she says, you are, you are. When, when I watch this, I'm sure many of you, when you watch this for the first time, you sort of sat in silence after the first hour or after the movie, just taking in the weight of all this, taking in the cost that was paid, that was served that day. And that's what I want to highlight to you from this. It's about cost. Looking to Jesus is seeing the cost to make you his own. Looking to Jesus is seeing the cost that he endured to make you his own. Seeing the cost is the only thing that causes you to care about how you run. Seeing the cost gives you motivation to consider running a worthy race. But here's the thing. 
and you've got to hear this. Jesus doesn't look at you and he doesn't say, earn this, does he? And this is the only thing that makes him worthy. Is he looks at, he hangs there and he looks at you and he says, what? It is finished. It is finished. I've earned it for you. And the effect of those words should have on us as we run with patience, as we consider what hinders us, is that should bring infinite joy and confidence to our running, no matter what the circumstances. That's the author's point. Jesus is not worth it, friends. And if that is our attitude as we leave these doors, we will not make it. He must become worthy to you of all that you have of your entire life. And may the cost of his love be the motivation, be the driver that pushes us forward. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we come to this table now, that you would use the words of your scripture to help us understand better the cost, what you gave up to secure us. And as we come, as we feast on you, we pray that we would see more so than ever how you are not worth it to follow, how you are not worth it as a king. You are worthy for us to follow, for us to run. And it is by grace and mercy that we can even say that we would be a part of this great cloud of witnesses, the church marching forward into eternity. We pray this for your glory alone. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.